Well, welcome once again. Now, Hollywood is notorious for creating films with no plots and big explosions, aren't they? You know why they do that? Because they're directed at men. As men, we don't need a plot. All we need is a good explosion, right? Am I right? I know for me, that's all I need, is to be able to watch a movie and just see a great explosion. You know, I love to watch 20, 30, 40 story buildings being brought down. It, 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 it amazes me and fascinates me how these engineers can place explosive devices strategically throughout these buildings and get them to fall and implode upon themselves exactly the way they want it to. If they want that building to fall left, guess what it does? It falls left. If they want it to fall right, it falls right. If they want it to fall backwards or forwards, it's exactly what they do. Or if they want it to implode upon itself, that building will come crumbling down one floor after another. If you want to bring down Christianity... There is just one place to start. If you blow up the resurrection story of Jesus Christ, our entire faith as Christians will come crumbling down. And that's exactly what the writer Paul talks about as he addressed the Corinthian church. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you didn't bring a Bible in the pew rack in front of you, there are Bibles. You can grab one of those or you can see up here on the screen as well. We'll have the scripture this morning. But we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 beginning in verse 12 and we're going to read together through verse 22 says this, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. And if it is true that the dead are not raised, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all be made alive. Our message point this morning is this, at the heart of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ. Billy Graham once said, if I were an enemy of Christianity, I would aim right at the resurrection because that is the heart of Christianity. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there would be no Christianity. The bedrock of our faith 
is the resurrection. You may be here this morning and you may be very skeptical of Christianity. You may be thinking this morning that dead people do not rise to life again. You may be thinking that there is absolutely zero evidence that Jesus ever arose from the grave. You may be also thinking, how can I believe Words on a page that were written by disciples some 2,000 years ago. If that is you, then I want you to know right now, you are not the first skeptic that has ever existed. In fact, one of the, the greatest theologians of the 20th century was a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, for the first 30 or so years of his life, he was a practicing atheist. But the Lord Jesus Christ got a hold of him. And as a result of that, he went from being a skeptic to being a Christ follower. He wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, he said this, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he, and he did not intend to. C.S. Lewis is not the first skeptic that's ever come to faith. And as we read just a few moments ago from um, the writer Paul, Paul talks about skeptics within this Corinthian church. They were questioning the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ as well as the physical bodily resurrection of those that have already perished and died. This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to walk through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be walking through verses 12 through 22, and we're actually going to be referring to a few other verses in chapter 15 as well. And what I want us to examine, I want us to examine every verse and see what the implications would have been if Jesus Christ never arose from the dead. What we're going to look at comes from a former blasphemer of Christianity, Paul. Paul went from being the chief persecutor of the early church to being the one that was persecuted the most amongst the religious leaders of Paul's day. He once was present at the stoning of Stephen. So very likely Paul was at least a participant in the murder of Christians. And he was responsible for arresting Christians and throwing them in jail. So Paul went from that 
to being a man that was sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as you read these verses and as we walk through them, understand that there was a day that Paul himself questioned the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for him to go from questioning to being a a, a chief proponent and proclamator of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is very significant. So let's look at point number one this morning is this, the resurrection and its implications. What I want us to do is I want us to look at six implications together. The first implication is this, had the resurrection not happened, then our preaching would be profitless. Paul is saying here in verse 14, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. So he's saying here, suppose the resurrection did not happen. Suppose that Jesus' body is somewhere decomposing like every other human being that has ever died on planet earth. He is saying if that is the case, then our preaching is profitless. Our preaching is in vain. If that were true, then our preaching is accomplishing absolutely nothing. If that was true for us in this morning, then you and I are just wasting our time being here. I am wasting my time standing in front of you, and you're wasting your time sitting in these pews. One pastor said this. He said, I am not sure who the bigger fool is, me standing here preaching or you sitting there listening. Understand this morning, at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the resurrection. Flip back in, um, or look in your, in, in, in your Bibles at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Read with me verses 3 through 5. Paul says this, He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. Paul makes it clear right here. He says that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried in a grave, and Jesus rose to life once again. And all of this happened in accordance with Scripture. That's exactly what Paul makes abundantly clear here. So point number one, our implication number one is profitless preaching. Implication number two, had the resurrection not occurred, our faith is useless. It would be useless faith. In verse 14 again, we read, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. If the resurrection is not true, then your faith and my faith is useless. Looking back at verse 12, Paul said, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even... Even Christ has been raised. If the founder of our faith did not rise from the dead as is claimed, then there is just one conclusion. And that one conclusion is this, that Jesus is a failure and a fraud. He is no different than the founders of every other religion in this world. Buddhism, we know the founder is dead and gone. Yet that religion lives on. 
Hinduism, the founder is dead and gone, yet the religion continues on. Confucianism, the founder is dead and gone, yet the religion lives on. Islam, the founder is dead and gone, yet the religion lives on. Christianity is based upon the prediction from Jesus and the promise of his resurrection. In John chapter 2, long before Jesus went to the cross, he said this. Jesus answered them and he said, destroy this temple. Speaking of his physical body, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. If his prophetic words had not come true, then Jesus would have been a liar and a fraud. But we know that his prediction did come true and that he did raise from the dead. A Buddhist in Africa was converted to Christianity. They asked this Buddhist, why did you change your faith? Why did you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? And this Buddhist said, well, it's like this. If you're walking down the road and you come to a fork in the road and there's two men standing there, one man is dead and the other is alive, which man would you follow after? And so that is how this man became a believer in Jesus Christ because he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. So implication number one is profitless preaching. Implication number two is useless faith. Implication number three, had the resurrection not occurred, the disciples were liars. We read in verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. If the resurrection is not true, then everything written by the disciples in the New Testament is absolutely false. It is not true. It is rubbish. If the resurrection is not true, then every New Testament writer is a liar and a fraud, just like Jesus Christ was. Since the very moment of the resurrection, there have been skeptics trying to discredit Christianity. Think about it. If these skeptics wanted to stop Christianity in its tracks, you know what they had to do? All they had to do was produce the body of Jesus. But they couldn't, could they? But they made excuse after excuse, claim after claim. Here are a few of those claims. Jesus' enemies stole the body of Christ. We know this did not happen because that would have blown up right in their face. At the foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Christ. The absence of the body of Christ would have been the fuel that the Christians needed to prove that Jesus Christ indeed did rise from the dead. That is why Pilate placed guards outside of the tomb of Jesus because they wanted to make sure that no one tried to steal the body of Christ. We read in Matthew chapter 27 verses 65 and 66 says this, Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing 
the stone and setting a guard. Another claim was that the Romans guard Guard stole the body of Jesus. We know this did not happen because once again, what did those Roman guards have to gain by stealing the body of Jesus? They had finally silenced the followers of Jesus. Why in the world would they have been the ones responsible for removing Jesus from that tomb? Claim number three is this. The disciples could have stolen the body of Jesus. This is actually what the religious leaders went with. And this is the story still today that is being spread. We read in Matthew 28 verses 11 through 15. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if that, this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has spread among the Jews even to this day. We know this did not happen because the tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers. If these guards would have allowed the body of Jesus Christ to be stolen under their watch, they would have certainly been put to death. And that may have even been what happened. So I can just imagine those Roman soldiers had the disciples or anyone else showed up on that day. They would have said, you can get to this dead body over my dead body. That's the only way those Roman soldiers would have allowed the body of Jesus to have been stolen. Ask yourself, would liars die a martyr's death for someone they did not believe in? I don't think they would have. I don't think these disciples would have died a martyr's death had they not witnessed with their eyes the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Implication number four, had the resurrection not occurred. Sin has dominion. Sin rules. In verses 16 and 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read once again, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Without the resurrection of Christ, then all of humanity would still be dead in their sins and condemned a criminal's death. Paul writes in Romans chapter 4, he says, It will be counted to you, to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This word justification means to be made just as if we had never sinned. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and was victorious over death, he provided a way for you and I to be justified, to be made as if we had never sinned before. Richard A. H. Mounts, in his commentary, wrote, 
Isaiah the prophet foretold that the messianic servant would pour out his life unto death. Yet he was raised to life for our justification. God's entire redemptive plan is summarized in this final verse of chapter 4. Christ died for our sins and was raised again for our justification. The two are inseparably bound together. Without his death, there would be no basis for acquittal. Without his resurrection, there would be no proof of the redemptive reality of his death. Jesus Christ Crucified and raised to life is God the Father's gracious provision for the sins of a fallen race. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then the implications are enormous. You and I would be still dead in our sins, condemned to the pits of hell. Implication number five, had the resurrection not occurred, death would be the end. In verse 18, Paul says, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. I came across a video on Richard Dawkins' website titled, What Should We Think About Death? Richard Dawkins, as you know, is an atheist. And he believes that all religions are false and a waste of time. This is what Richard Dawkins believes. He said, don't kid yourself that you're going to live again after you're dead. You're not. Make the most of this one life you've got. Live it to the full. If the resurrection were not true, then when you and I take our final breath, then that is the end. There is no more. For the Christian, we know that death is not the end. We know that we are going to live beyond. We're going to live for all of eternity in the very presence of Jesus Christ. And that leads us to our sixth implication, had the resurrection not occurred. And it is this, we are a pitied people. Had the resurrection not occurred, you and I are a pitied people. We read this in verse 19. It says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What that means is, if this is the only life we get, then that is terrible news for all of us. We are going to live for a short time, and the only hope we have that our memory is going to live on is going to be from a tombstone that gives evidence to the life that we once lived. I want you to know right now that this is not all there is. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon on eternity, and our focal point that morning was you and I were made for eternity. We were created for eternity. Every single one of us in this room were created for eternity. We were not made just to live 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, and a few people, a hundred years. We were created to live for all of eternity. And Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, he said this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. God has created all of us 
for eternity. God has placed within the heart of every man, woman, student, and child eternity. So if the resurrection is true, which I know it is, and I hope you know it is, then we have the hope, knowledge, and assurance that one day when we die, we will immediately be ushered into the very presence of Jesus Christ if we are believers in this room. We know that because when Jesus hung on the cross, there were two criminals on either side of him. One of those criminals cursed Jesus and chose to die a sinner's death. The other man from the cross asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins and to remember him. And Jesus made this declaration. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. So we have this assurance straight from Jesus that when we die immediately for the believer, the believer will be ushered into the presence of Jesus Christ. That also means then that for the unbeliever, the unbeliever will be immediately ushered into the depths of hell. So point number two this morning is the resurrection secures our future. Paul goes on to write these great words of comfort and hope. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Oh, my friends, the resurrection of Christ is not a myth. It is not an assumption. It is not wishful thinking. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is indeed a fact. Here's how we know that it is a fact. We have firsthand testimony. On numerous occasions, the Lord appeared to the disciples. Had Jesus not have appeared to them, then you can be certain that those very disciples would not have risked imprisonment. They would not have risked ridicule and shame. They would not have risked persecution, and they certainly would not have died a martyr's death for someone that did not reappear to them, not that did not show up post-resurrection. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, or 15, verses 5 through 8, Paul says this, and that, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. So we have this firsthand testimony that Jesus Christ did appear to his chosen. We also see that Jesus transformed lives. Think about the lives that were radically changed after Jesus' resurrection. Think about how your life has been radically changed because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Peter, one of Jesus' closest companions, Scripture tells us that Peter, when Jesus needed him the most, what did Peter do? Peter denied Jesus three times. But after Jesus defeated death in the grave, he would appear to Peter, to appear to Peter, and we would see we see this beautiful, the beauty of God's grace unfold before our very eyes as He restored Peter and forgave him 
for his denial. Peter would be one of the greatest ambassadors for Christ that this world has ever seen. He would be instrumental in leading the early church. In Acts chapter 2, we read about how the Holy Spirit falls upon the 120 that are in the upper room that have gathered together to pray and to, and to fellowship with one another and to wait and anticipate the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit come, came on that day of Pentecost, Scripture says that those that were in the upper room went out into the streets and they began to prophesy and they began to give testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Those that were in proximity of the 120 thought that the men were drunk and Peter stands up and he says, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. These men are not drunk, but what were they? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter would go on to preach one of the greatest sermons that has ever been preached by man. He would stand up, he would preach and on that day, 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit fell upon them and these men, women, students, and children were baptized right there on the spot. All of the disciples, with the exception of John, would die a martyr's death. Would a person that did not believe with absolute certainty die for a life? Tradition says that Peter was crucified with his head being down and his feet upward because he said, I am unworthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about it once again. Would anyone die a martyr's death had they not been 100% convinced that Jesus Christ did indeed rise from the dead? The resurrection of Christ is, in fact, a fact. And his resurrection guarantees that all of us will live on into eternity. And that leads us to our third and final point this morning. It's this. The resurrection demands a decision. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demands a decision. We read in verses 21 and 22, it says this. For as by a man came death... By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. First, let's look here. It says, for as in Adam all die. Because of that first sin that was created or that was committed in the Garden of Eden, every single man, woman, Student and child, every single person that takes a breath of air on this side of eternity stands condemned before God. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person, once again, that has ever walked this earth is a sinner. A sin is anything that we have done that has prevented us from having access to God. Anything that we have done that has broken the heart of God is a sin. And scripture says that every single one of us in this room, all of us are sinners. And Romans 6.23, the first part of that verse says that the wages of sin is death. Because of that one sin or that millionth sin we committed, we stand condemned to die a sinner's death. But there's good news. Good news is the next part of this verse. It says, Paul went on to write, he says, So also 
in Christ shall all be made alive. Through Christ, you and I have been given access to God. Through Christ, a broken relationship is now restored. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. When you and I repent of our sins, we are guaranteed access to God once again. In the second part of Romans 6.23, the verse says, first part was the wages of sin is death, but the second part is, but the gift of God is eternal life. God's free gift to all of us is eternal life. And the way we receive that eternal life is by asking Jesus to forgive us of our sins and to give us the gift of eternal life. In Romans 5, 8, we read, But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to this earth. Jesus lived a perfect life. Never committed a sin. He went to the cross to die on that cross because he loved you. And he died for your sins and my sins. And he provided a way for us to enter into eternal life. We see here in Romans 10.9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So how does a person enter into eternal life? You admit that you're a sinner, you repent of that sin, and you call out to Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. And in Romans 10, 13, we have this assurance that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right there. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here this morning, and you have never called on the name of the Lord, asking him to forgive you of your sins, then this morning I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Every single one of us has but a short time to figure out what is most important in our life. Our eternity hinges upon our response to Jesus Christ One day, each and every one of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. On that day, we will have to give an account for how we live this life. For the believer, the believer will be eternally rewarded, and they will receive eternal life. For the unbeliever, the unbeliever will stand condemned, and they will be ushered out into the pits of hell. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then there is no greater day than to turn your life over to Jesus Christ, to ask him to forgive you of your sins and call out to him to be your Lord and Savior than on this day, on Easter Sunday. You know, it was on Easter Sunday when I was 11 years old that I became a Christ follower. I'll never forget that day. I was a part of a children's worship service, very much like your children, if you have a younger child right now, is over in the gymnasium. 
in children's church. And they're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. It was very much like what they're experiencing. The minister shared the plan of salvation. And at the end, he said, if you want to receive Jesus, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, then I invite you to come. And guess what I did? I got up out of my seat. I was in Plano, Texas. I got up out of my seat and I walked down that aisle and I gave my life over to Jesus Christ. I admitted on that day that I was a sinner and I asked Jesus to forgive me of that sin and I cried out and asked him to be my Lord and my Savior. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then I invite you on this Easter Sunday morning to get up from your seat and come to the front and say, I want a relationship with Jesus Christ today. I'm acknowledging that he is alive and I want him to be Lord of my life. So if you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, in just a moment, our praise team is going to sing again. And we're going to stand together. And I want you to come. And say, today I want to give my life over to Jesus Christ. You may be like, I'm in the middle of of this middle section in this middle pew. There's people to my right and to my left. Here's what I promise you. If you want to give your life over to Jesus today, they're going to move out of your way. Man, they're going to leap out of the way so that you can do that. Because there is no greater decision that a person can make in their life than the decision of what they're going to do with Jesus. So today, come to know Jesus if you don't know Jesus. This morning, if you've been visiting this church and this is the day that the Lord is calling you to become a member, we invite you to come. You may just need to come, faith family, and kneel at this altar this morning and pray. Pray for those that are in this room that don't know Jesus, that need Jesus. Come and pray for them, that today will be the day that they come to know Christ. You may have a neighbor that doesn't know Jesus. Pray specifically for that person or a coworker or a, 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 a buddy that you go to school with. Pray for them during this time of invitation. Let's stand together, and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. You come. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning thanking you for the opportunity to have come together on this Easter morning to worship you. Father, we've come together to open up your word and read the resurrection story. Father, we understand the implications had the resurrection not occurred. Then we're just wasting our time. But Father, we, as as well as Paul declared, believe indeed in a factual sense. We know without a doubt that you did rise from the dead. You conquered death, you conquered the grave, and you conquered life. And that is how every single one of us in this room this morning can receive life. Father, I pray right now, if there's someone that does not know you, that today will be the day that they repent of their sins and they ask you to forgive them of those sins and they cry out to you to be their Lord and Savior. Just move now during this time of invitation. Do a work within the hearts of every single person in this room. Father, for the believer, convict us for those that we know that we need to share the good news with. For the unbeliever, convict them and reveal to them, Father, how you love them. And I know that you've already revealed that to them.
but how you desperately want them to come to faith in you. Just move now during this invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.